0: Let's pray together. Open our hearts, Lord, that we may see the wondrous things of your word. Father, give us understanding. Grant it to us, Lord, as a father tells his children good things and points them in the right direction. Father, help us to glean, Lord, from your truth. And Father, let your spirit be our teacher today, Lord, as we look into your word and discover how you desire for your children. Citizens of your kingdom, Lord, to live, and to give, and to worship. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Open with me, if you will, to um, Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at the same text as we looked at last week, uh, but we're going to look at it from a different angle this week. Um, over the last several weeks, through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking, Jesus has been teaching Uh, These are the characteristics. This is what kingdom citizens are like. Uh, These are their thoughts. These are their motivations. And here in chapter 6, we have turned to uh, how kingdom citizens practice their citizenship. How they live out righteousness. And so uh, Jesus, like I said, gives three illustrations of how that is. So in looking at the text last week, our focus was on avoiding hypocrisy in our acts of righteousness, or shall I say, in our worship. Uh, Not just our worship gathering together as we are doing today, but our whole lives are worship, really. Our whole lives are being lived out in worship to the living God. And so uh, we want to do that and avoid hypocrisy in doing so. So the basic question of the text, uh, as I pointed out last week, is who is your audience Who is your audience? Our uh, our worship, our acts of righteousness are not an opportunity to highlight our own righteousness, but an opportunity instead to point toward our Father for the sake of His glory. The danger in, in practicing our acts of righteousness is that we have a bent toward our own glory. Uh, We have ways of uh, basking in our own goodness and our own doing the right thing so that it brings glory to us rather than to God. This is how the Pharisees lived out their religion. They lived it out to their own glory. Last week we noticed that in living And doing the acts of righteousness to your own glory. Or. Whoever you're trying to impress. Is who will give you. Your reward. If you're trying to impress men. If you're trying to convince people that you're a good person. And that you do such good things. And it's such, you're such a wonderful guy or a wonderful gal. Well, you're going to get your reward, but that's it. Everybody thinks you're great. But the object of our righteousness is not that people think we're great. But they think that God is great. And they give glory to His name. We can seek to impress others and even ourselves. That's what spiritual pride does. But we have a different direction that we go as believers. Spiritual pride is not characteristic of someone who is a believer, who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. So, the question one of the questions today is how do kingdom citizens? Practice righteousness. The text tells us, so I want us to be looking at each of Jesus' illustrations over the next few weeks um, and uh, to uh, answer this question, what is the true practice of righteousness for believers or for kingdom citizens? I want to try to answer that today by looking at the text, and particularly looking at a couple of words in the text. And so I have two questions that I'm seeking to answer. One major question, what's the true practice of righteousness for believers? But then two questions to help us answer that one. And so I have two points. First, who are the needy? Who... Are the needy? He says, that's when you give to the needy. And then verse 3 But when you give to the needy, who are the needy? What is this giving for? Obviously, the giving is for the needy. The second question is this one How is giving? Done in secret. How is giving done in secret? There in verse 3, he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, so it's answering a question. It's giving us some information here. By doing this, your giving may be in secret, cryptos, maybe cryptic. What does it mean to give in secret? How is giving done in secret? So, what's the true practice? Jesus, I believe, absolutely is pointing to it in reference to our giving. Now, we know that giving is something that God has called us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Our giving in in tithes and offerings, but also our giving... Uh, to the poor, and very much this text is looking at our giving as it relates to the needy. The construction of the Greek phrase here, where it says, uh, uh, "Thus, verse two, thus when you give to the needy, that give to the needy is two Greek words, and the construction is the act is to do the act of alms giving." So when you do the act of almsgiving, that's literally what's being said there. So it begs a question to, uh, of what is almsgiving? What, what does that mean? What does it mean to give alms? Well, almsgiving was created by God as a provision for the poor. It's important for us to understand this in order to understand what's being said in this text and how we are to give. In Exodus chapter 23, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 23, I want us to see uh, the institution, or uh, him instituting the almsgiving, if you will. In Exodus chapter 23, uh, we see that in verse 10, God gives some instruction He says, for six years, you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Why? That the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. In other words, what God's doing is He's making a provision for the poor by giving instruction that every six years let the ground lie fallow. Uh, Let the poor reap from it. Let the poor gather from it. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, we see uh, that that goes a little farther. uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, look with me there. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 is where we'll begin. And it's explaining to us almsgiving. How do we care for the poor? It says in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 24, When you reap your harvest in your field, that's yearly, by the way, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Uh, It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave... In the land of Egypt, therefore, I command you to do this. I command you to see to the needs of the poor. So uh, we see that almsgiving was to benefit uh, the poor. And he names them. We see the beneficiaries of the almsgiving. It's the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. It's the poor of the land. So it's kind of giving us a picture back of, in in Matthew chapter 6, the giving that Jesus is talking about is the care that we give to the impoverished, to the poor, to the sojourner, to the widow, to the fatherless. The practice of almsgiving during the day of Jesus involved very much the same thing, but also included the collections for the poor and the maintenance of the tabernacle. Um, and so we, they, they had like a, a box there, a chest and a hole in it, and they would come by and they would drop their money in that box. And they knew the purpose of that money going into the box, it was to, uh, to take care of the maintenance needs of the temple, but it was also to take care of the poor. This is the scene that's going on when the, uh, the Pharisees sound the trumpet in the temple. All right? Hey, look, I'm fixing to give. Everybody, watch this. They reach into their pocket and they pull out a big wad, and they, they can't even hardly get it down into the box. And people are going, ah, ooh, look at that. But Jesus was sitting across from the treasury one day when all these guys were stuffing money into the box. A little widow came up. She had two pennies. She could at least rub them together. And with those two pennies, she took them and she put them in. And Jesus went, she gave more than anybody. You see, it wasn't the quantity. It was something about this woman's heart that said, I want to give. She put it into a common box. And she made no fuss about it. But Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach the disciples. Hey, when you give, you give like her, not like them. She wasn't giving from her wealth. She was giving from what she didn't have. Paul makes a similar uh, analogy when he's uh, instructing the Corinthians on taking a collection on a weekly basis for the sake of giving to the poor. Jesus reminded the disciples at some point well actually it was when he was anointed in Bethany. And they kicked up a fuss particularly Judas Hey, man, we could have sold that, given it to the poor. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor. Ain't it the truth? You'll always have the poor. And so often they're forgotten. Particularly in a land of our great wealth, in our particular areas of status, so often the poor are left out. I noticed years ago in a ministry, and I'd never really noticed it before. Growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana, I'd never really noticed it. Probably because I lived in the neighborhoods that suburbs are built around. So we never have to pass through. them. We need to see that Jesus was speaking of almsgiving. He's speaking of the responsibility of believers to give to relieve the suffering Of the poor. In Acts chapter 2 and 4, we find some practice of the early church going on there. In Acts chapter 2, we have a scene that is happening not long after uh, the day of Pentecost. And many have trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, having heard the gospel in their own language. What do we have there? We have a big old group of sojourners in Jerusalem during that time. And so what the church did, uh, the, all these people came to know Christ, about 3,000 souls, and those people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And it says later on, verse 44, and all who believed were together. And how are all things in common? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What we had was we had sojourners that had come uh, for Pentecost, for that celebration. And having come to know Christ, they stayed. They stayed and, man, they were enjoying the prayers and the teaching of the apostles. But they had only packed a Walmart bag, Okay. That's all they had, you know. And and that's all they had brought with them. They didn't have a whole lot of money. They didn't have a whole lot of resources. They didn't have any job there in Jerusalem. Perhaps they had no family. So what did the believers do very early on? Hey, you know what? We can take care of your needs as you sit and hear the gospel of Christ, as you sit and learn from the apostles, as the word is taught. And so what did they do? They gathered up. Their things, they sold things, and nobody had a desire. All their needs were met. Whose needs? Those sojourners that were there still in Jerusalem. In chapter four of Acts, we see also that as things continue to to go and uh, <clears throat> and proceed They continued to grow, and the power of the the ministry of the apostles was growing. And in verse 34 of chapter 4 of Acts, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. What we see is the early church taking care of physical needs and the needs of those who were in the body of Christ and caring for those who were sojourning. What they were doing is, is people were willing to give to meet the needs of others. Who are the needy today? I know sometimes what we think of is we think of the people that might... Catch us at the gas pump or out in the parking lot of the grocery store or something like that. Saying, hey, you know, you have some change that you can spare. I know sometimes we think of that. But I want you to know there's a vast amount of need in the world. Even here in the United States and throughout the world. Jesus said, the poor you will always have. And indeed, the poor are still with us. There are still those who are hungry. This world. About 800 million people worldwide suffer from hunger and malnutrition. Approximately 30,000 children die of it every day. 40 million are victims of human trafficking, where they're taken and they're trafficked. And used as slaves, prostitutes, or whatever their owners desire. There are approximately 82 million refugees who have been forced from their homes and countries because of war and or genocide. Every year, many families, hundreds, even thousands of families and more are displaced because of natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis. Very few of us have ever experienced the concept of bombs falling around our home. And throwing everything you possibly can imagine, everything that you can carry into one thing and running for your life. Leaving the vast majority of your belongings where they are and leaving. Very few of us understand that, but when we hear the word refugee, often the hair stands up on the back of our neck. And we don't think of the displacement that has just taken place in the lives of these families and these children. Yes, I do know the difference between a refugee and an illegal immigrant. Refugees have been displaced because of the sin of someone else. And I encourage you to think about these are the things. This is what Jesus is talking about. How do you give to alleviate the suffering of others around you? Whether it be in the body of Christ. Whether it be in the community of Palestine. Whether it be around the world to ensure that children receive food. That's what this almsgiving is. Southern Baptists have what they call Send Relief. It's been called multiple things throughout the years. I, I thought it was still called BGR, but it's not BGR anymore. The Baptist Global Relief is what it used to be. But now it's called Send Relief. And they're currently uh, sending a great deal of relief to Ukraine. And so the giving that we have for through Southern Baptist is uh, cares for many of these needs. But there are needs right here in this community. There are a number of children. If they don't go to school, they don't eat. There's a great need for adoption and foster care services in Anderson County. These are all ways that we can apply the resources that God has given us to ensure that others are cared for and Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are the needy? Well, they are the sojourner. They are the fatherless, the orphans. They are the widows. These are the poor in our world today. Just as they have always been. I want us to take a moment and look now at this phrase in Matthew chapter 6. We see that the needy, and the needy that he's talking about, give to the needy, do the act of almsgiving, so that the needs of the poor are met. And he says in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why? That's the question you want to ask right there. Because when you ask the question not why, the next phrase answers your question. So that your giving may be in secret. So how... Is giving done in secret by not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. See, I just turned it around. It's really all there is to that. But what does that mean? I've heard the don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing uh, described in many different ways. Well, I want us to keep it simple today, all right? You know, Martin Luther, by the way, if you've never read much on Martin Luther, you ought to read the guy because he was point-blank blunt, all right? And so he kind of tended to put some things into very simple understanding, and he explained the phrase as not allowing the left hand to reduce the amount of money that your right hand was giving. you ever done that? You know, you're in the restaurant, and you get your change back. Okay, look, used to, you would pay, and they would bring change back, and out of that change, you would give a tip, okay? Now you just write it on the little thing. But I'm using actual currency here. And so you get some money back, and you look through there, and they've given you a five and three ones. And you pull that five out, and you go to lay it down, and you went, and you throw down the three ones, right? No, you don't do that? Okay, you're more generous than I am. That's kind of what was going on in Luther's mind. Of thinking in that way. Basically, is don't give a thought to your giving. So that it does not produce in you spiritual pride. You give compelled by the Spirit of God. You give cheerfully and willingly. But I want us to look at and think more on that. By doing this, our, our giving is done in secret. But it's not as though this secret giving... Is not done publicly. Because the widow there at the treasury, everybody saw her give. Jesus did. She was giving publicly, wasn't she? How about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4? He went and he sold his land and he came and he laid it at the apostles' feet. How do we know? Well, because he did it publicly. He didn't have horns and trumpets. Musicians. On the other hand, you had Ananias and Sapphira who also gave publicly and died as a result of it. Well, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were giving For the praise of men. Why Barnabas and the widow? Why didn't they die? It's not about being seen giving. It's about being seen giving for the praise of men. Not only that, they were doing that which is common. You see, this wasn't the first trip for the widow to the treasury box. It doesn't seem that Barnabas earned his name from this one episode, Son of Encouragement. But instead, it was a common practice for Barnabas to be generous, to be an encourager. Ananias and Sapphira weren't doing what was common. They were doing what would get them praise. How's giving done in secret? One, it's the common things of living out the Christian life. Just as a matter of living out the Christian life. Because our natures have been made new in a sense. That we have received a new nature in him. And he is working in us a desire To be like Christ. In Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 41. Actually I'll read from 39. Jesus says this. The Lord said to him, a <clears throat> Pharisee he was dining with, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and, the, and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Verse 41. But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Give his alms those things that are within. Or give his alms from what flows out of you. Not for what can be seen on the outside. But give from what has transpired on the inside. That you have been changed. He indicates that almsgiving flows from the inside. From grace and love and compassion. That's a word you don't hear much anymore, isn't it? Compassion. Mercy. Over and over again, Jesus is said to have had compassion on them. Had compassion on the people that had been with him for three days and they hadn't eaten anything. So he fed all of them, like 5,000 and 3,000. He had compassion as he passed through the town of Maine. And they came along a funeral procession. And it was a widow in that town who was burying her only son. And it says that Jesus had compassion on her. You know what compassion, that word, that sympathy, compassion... Compassion is uh, the depth of sorrow for someone with the desire. It comes along with the desire to alleviate the sorrow. To take away the pain as much as it depends on. We're not naturally compassionate. Back in one of the texts that I read earlier in Exodus chapter 24, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You may remember as we were talking about who are the needy. It's the fatherless, it's the sojourners, it's the widows. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you forget to get a row, leave it. I intend to bless you as you have blessed the sojourner and the widow and the orphan. And he keeps going through this uh, in uh, the field and the olive trees. And the vineyard in verse 22, he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Remember that and go up to verse 18. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. You were a slave. I'm talking to you. I'm not speaking for God to Israel. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. You are a slave. And you would still be a slave except that God saved you. Isn't it great that God saved you? Isn't that awesome? You didn't deserve it. You're slaves. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing that caused God to go, Hey! Let me save that guy. He's awesome. Look at that bald head. Got to have him in here. Why was it that God redeemed the people of each of Israel? Because He made a promise that He would. And He has still made promises to us. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's a promise maker and his character is such that he keeps those promises. And folks, he redeemed the ungodly when he redeemed me and when he redeemed you. And he did it out of love. And He did it out of grace. And He did it out of mercy. He did it out of compassion. He acted in such a way as He did not have to act. And He has called us to act in the same way. And He gave us the means to do it. And do you know what it is? Yes, sharing the gospel, but also almsgiving to care for the poor. Do this. Remember, you are a slave. Our giving is redemptive giving. It's giving that flows out of a heart that has been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been made new that we would care for and love one another, but also that we would see the suffering of the poor and the broken and the oppressed and the homeless and the widow. And the orphan. And we would respond with a desire to alleviate that pain as much as it depends on me. That's an exact reversal of why the Pharisees gave. Man, he calls us to this. Redemptive giving. Giving that is not for the outside, although it may be public. It's not for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. That others might hear and know the gospel of Christ. I was reading Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Many of you are familiar with that. We've done a class on it. Talking about the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Hence the title of the book. Whitney quoted one man. He didn't tell me who he was. There are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving. Duty giving. And thanksgiving. Grudge giving says I have to. Duty giving says I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. That's the giving of a kingdom, citizen. He goes on later on and says, some give because they know they can't keep it. Others give because they believe they owe it. And a happy few give because they say they can't help it. You be that, that giver. I can't help it. I have to do it. I want to be like Christ. I want to pour compassion out. It's what He's putting in me. He's put it in you. It's there. Demonstrate it. Live it out. Not so that people will think you're great, but so that they will see that your God is great. That He took a wretch like you and gave you compassion and made you generous and caused you to care. That's what Jesus is teaching His disciples. That's the type of citizens he makes us in the kingdom of God that is here and the one that is coming. Give redemptively. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the calling you have put on us, not just to redeem us, and we're grateful for that, But, Lord, that we would live out the purposes to which you have called us. And one of those purposes is to love one another. And to even pray for our enemies. And to do good to them. Lord, to see the plight of the impoverished. And bring to bear the resources, Lord, that you have given us individually and as a church and as a people, the people of God. So, God, I pray, Lord, that our faith lived out, Lord, would not simply be the recitation of Scripture or the understanding of Doctrine. For if we have all those things and have not love, we're clanging cymbal. So, Lord, stir our hearts to do that which is good and to be faithful in giving to help others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.